0: Hello, you guys. What is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here on the podcast every Wednesday and also every Thursday on our YouTube channel as well. As you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are diving in to the unsolved case of the Springfield Three. The Springfield Springfield 3 refers to three women who went missing in Springfield, Missouri in the summer of 1992 from their own home. Like I said, this case is unsolved and I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it. So with that being said, let's jump right on into it today. So let's talk about who the Springfield Three are. The Springfield Three are three women who have now been missing for over 29 years. 18-year-old Stacey McCall was born on April 23rd, 1974 and is 5'3". And at the time of her disappearance was 120 pounds with long, dark blonde hair and blue eyes. Stacy worked at Springfield Gymnastics and oftentimes did local modeling in the area, and Stacy is described by her mother as a go-go-go type of person. She was always out doing something, going somewhere. She loved being adventurous and spontaneous, and along with that, she was always finding a way to help others. Stacy's friend Suzanne Streeter was born on March 9th, 1973, and went by the nickname Susie. She was 19 years old at the time of her disappearance and stood at 5'2", and when she went missing, she was 102 pounds with shoulder-length blonde hair and brown eyes. She has a scar on her upper right forearm, and Susie worked at a local movie theater in Springfield and was described as a very happy person she's extremely outgoing extremely friendly and approachable and is described by her co-workers as good at being a good human now what's interesting is that Stacy and Susie were really great friends in elementary school that's where they met they became best friends and then Stacy ended up moving away her and her family left Springfield for a little bit and when they came back it took Stacy and Susie a little bit of time to reconnect and rebuild that friendship it actually actually wasn't until about three to four weeks prior to the disappearance that they became close friends again and that they reconnected. And then we have Susie's mom, which is a woman named Cheryl Levitt. Cheryl was born on November 1st, 1944, and was 47 years old at the time of her disappearance. She stands at about five feet and at the time that she went missing she was about 110 pounds with short light blonde hair brown eyes and pierced ears. Cheryl was a single mother to her daughter Susie. Cheryl worked as a hairdresser at a salon called New Attitudes and grew a clientele of about 250 people. So she was very well known in the community and she was also very well liked. Everyone liked Cheryl, everyone had only good things to say about her. Not only was she great at what she did on the business standpoint, but also just as a human, she was incredibly nice and welcoming and really did everything that she could to provide for her and her daughter. Now, the disappearance occurred on the early morning hours of June 7th, 1992. However, the day prior, June 6th, was actually the girls' graduation. Stacy and Susie had graduated from Kickapoo High School, located in Springfield, Missouri. The class of 1992 had their graduation ceremony and it ended somewhere around 6 o'clock p.m. And afterwards, Stacy's mom, Janice, wanted Stacy to come home and have a family celebration. Stacy's mom got a cake. They were going to do this whole great thing at home, but Stacy really wanted to go out and celebrate with her friends. Stacy told her mom that she was going to be going out that night with Susie and their other friend, which is a girl named Janelle. Kirby. Now, if you have graduated high school, you know that it is fairly common for people to have graduation parties. They celebrate with their family and they celebrate with their friends. Sometimes these graduation parties occur days after graduation, sometimes it's days before, and sometimes it's the day of. However, a lot of times people who graduate high school, the day that they graduate, they want to go out and they want to celebrate the end of this new chapter and their accomplishments and whatnot. I know Personally, for me, my high school sent me to an arcade overnight, and that was our graduation celebration. So, Susie, Stacy, and Janelle were planning on going to a couple house parties. That was their deal for the night. The plan was is that they were going to meet at Janelle's house and go to their first party from there. Janelle's house was located in Battlefield, Missouri, and Susie left to go to Janelle's house at 8 p.m., and Stacy got there shortly after at 8.30, and they didn't have to go far for the first party that they attended, considering it was in walking distance to Janelle's house, so all they had to do was walk over. Now, a couple hours into the first party, at about 10.30 p.m., Stacy stepped away from the party for a moment to call her mom Janice and just do a little check-in. Now, when Stacy was on the phone with Janice, Stacy told her that her and her friends were going to be staying the night at the guy who was hosting the party's house, and this boy was named Brian Joy. So, Stacy told her mom that her, Susie, and Janelle were going to be staying at Brian's house and spending the night there. However, while Stacy was on the phone with her mom, these plans changed. Brian informed the girls that it would be better if they spent the night at their own house, so that is when the three of them decided that they would all go back to Janelle's instead. Stacy also informed her mom that the following morning, they were going to be going to a water park located in Branson that was called Whitewater. Janice said that this was a very normal phone call. Nothing seemed concerning or off, nothing that raised any red flags. Stacy was acting perfectly normal. And before Janice got off the phone with Stacy, she told her to call her the next morning before they went to the water park. Stacy agreed and told her mom that she would give her a call the following morning, and then she hung up the phone. After Stacy got off the phone with her mom, the girls then went to their second party of the night. This was located on East Hanover Street in Springfield, and they stayed at this party for a good period of time until about 1.40am when the police showed up and basically shut the party down, told everyone to go home, and that is when Janelle, Susie, and Stacy all went back to Janelle's house. Now, when the girls got to Janelle's house, they realized that Janelle had family in town staying with her. So her family was taking up the extra bedrooms that Janelle's family had. And that would mean that Susie and Stacy were going to be sleeping on the floor. Now, after talking it out a little bit, Susie and Stacy decided that they were going to go back to Susie's house and sleep there. Susie had just gotten this giant king waterbed as a graduation present, and they figured that would be a lot more comfortable than sleeping on the floor. So they left Janelle's house and said that they were going to be going back to Susie's. Susie's house was about a 15-minute drive from where Janelle lived, so the plan was that Stacy was going to follow Susie, and they were going to spend the night there, but the following morning, the three girls still were planning on going to that water park. The following morning, Janelle called Susie at 8 a.m. to see what time they would be coming to pick her up to go to Whitewater. However, no one answered the phone, so she left a voice message. Now, mind you, this is 1992. There is no cell phones. This was a house phone that Janelle called, so it was Susie's house phone, and no one answered. Now, Janelle waited a couple hours until about 12.30 p.m., and that is when her and her boyfriend, Mike Henson. Went over to Susie's house together. Now, once Janelle got there, she saw that Susie, Stacy, and Cheryl's cars were all parked in the driveway, so she started walking up to the front door, figuring that everything was fine. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Once she got to the front door, she realized there was broken glass on the front steps. And the broken glass was from the porch light. The porch light was a globe that had glass surrounding it. And that glass had been broken. Now, because Janelle and Mike weren't thinking about worst case scenario, they decided to sweep up the glass and put it in The trash. Obviously, as we know, that is completely contaminating with evidence. However, at that point, they weren't thinking about that. They thought that they were doing a nice thing by sweeping up the glass and throwing it away. Now, Janelle started walking around the house and she walked to the back of the house, and that is when she noticed that the back door was unlocked. It was closed, but Unlocked. So she opened the back, and when she did, she saw Susie and Cheryl's little dog named Cinnamon was running around like crazy. Once he saw her, he jumped right into her arms, and he definitely was acting a little frantic. Janelle walked through the house yelling for Susie and Cheryl. However, she got no response. No one was in the house, and so she didn't really know what to make of this. She didn't know what was going on, so she left Cinnamon in the house, closed the door behind her, and her and her boyfriend went off to the water park together. It's important to mention, though, that before Janelle went to the water park, when she was walking around the house, she said that nothing seemed out of place. The house didn't look ransacked. It didn't look like there had been any forced entry. Everything was in its place. However, the one thing that she did notice that she thought was odd was that Susie, Cheryl, and Stacy's purses were all lined up in front of Susie's bedroom door. Along with that, the TV set was also on. However, Janelle figured that it was the morning. Maybe they just turned on the TV in the morning and walked out and forgot to turn it off. Something else that Janelle noticed was that Cheryl and Susie had left their packs of cigarettes in their purses now this struck her as a little odd because if you knew cheryl and susie you knew that they were chain smokers they were constantly smoking cigarettes and they always had their packs on them clearly they smoked enough to the point that when janelle saw the packs of cigarettes she thought to herself that it was bizarre considering that they usually always brought the packs with them now something that i have noticed in this case that i'm about to tell you that i think is beyond bizarre, and I think it's possibly a giant clue in this case, that every time I was in my research and looking through this case, I don't think that this gets talked about enough. I think it is slightly overlooked, and it is so bizarre that I do not understand why. While Janelle was inside of Cheryl and Susie's home, they received a phone call. This phone call came in again on their home phone, and Janelle answered the phone, and when she did, there was a man on the other end of the line. It has never been completely clear, at least to the public, what exactly was said to Janelle on this phone call. However, according to Janelle, this man was making sexual innuendos over the phone and she hung up. He then called again shortly after and Janelle answered, but once she realized it was the same man, she hung up again. Now, again, we have no idea what exactly was said on this phone call. That has never been disclosed to the public. All we have to go off of is sexual innuendos, which really could mean anything. But if you think about it, I think that this is very crucial. I think the likelihood that this was just a random prank call on the day that these women all went missing seems to be very unlikely. So I just think that it's very interesting that this isn't talked about a lot. However, of course, it is very possible that the authorities know exactly what this phone call is about, and I'm sure that they have looked into it. However, as far as public knowledge, there isn't a lot there on that. Now Stacy's mom Janice was getting very worried on the 7th when Stacy never called her to tell her that she was heading off to the water park. Stacy was the kind of girl that always played by the rules she hated getting in trouble. So because of that, she always did everything to ensure that she never would get in trouble. So when she wasn't calling her mom the morning of the 7th, Janice definitely was a little concerned. She knew it was unlike Stacy's character. However, she wasn't thinking worse case scenario, so she decided that she was going to teach Stacy a lesson. She had figured that Stacy had just gone off to the water park without calling her first, so her plan was to go over to Janelle's house, because again, at that point, that's where Janice thought Stacy was, and Janice's plan was to grab all of Stacy's belongings from Janice's house and bring them back to her house, almost basically to just teach her a lesson, so to speak. Now, again, Janice was under the impression that Stacy was at Janelle's house. So Janice ended up calling Janelle's home and Janelle's sister was the one who ended up picking up the phone. And when Janice asked Janelle's sister if she could talk to Stacy, Janelle's sister had to inform Janice that Stacy was not there and she did not spend the night. Now, of course, to Janice, this is incredibly shocking. She doesn't know what Janelle's sister is talking about. So the two of them kind of went back and forth for a moment and Janice asked to speak with Janelle's mother. Once Janelle's mother got on the phone, Janelle's mother cleared it up and told her that Stacy and Susie had gone back to Susie's and spent the night there. So Janice knew at that point that she needed to get over to Susie's house in order to retrieve Stacy's belongings. So she asked Janelle's mother for Susie's address. However, Janelle's mother did not know her address and also did not know her phone number. She said the only person who knew that was Janelle. And remember, Janelle was at the water park. So Janice actually had to drive all the way over to this water park and find Janelle. Janelle was going down one of the water slides when Janice found her. And once Janice was finally able to pull her to the side, Janelle told Janice that she had been over to Susie's house multiple times that day and no one was home. Now, obviously for Janice, this is extremely alarming to hear because now she's hearing that no one knows where her daughter is. When Janice asked Janelle why she didn't tell her sooner, Janelle said that she didn't want Janice to worry. So Janice finally got the address to Susie's house, and while Janelle stayed at the water park, Janice went over to Susie's. Now when Janice went over to Susie's, she also walked in to the home and scouted it out, so to speak. And again, this also is a contamination of the crime scene, which we will get into in a moment. However, of course, if you're looking for someone, especially your daughter, and you think that this house was the last place she was at, you're going to walk in it. So that is exactly what Janice did. And when she did, she noticed that there was a blinking light on the answering machine, which meant that there was a message that needed to be played. So Janice ended up playing this message. And again, while we don't have a lot of information about what this message entailed, all Janice said is that it was strange. It was a strange, bizarre, message. And we don't know if it's from the same person that had called previously when Janelle was at the house. However, Janice described it as very bizarre. Once Janice saw all of the three purses lined up, as well as the car keys that were inside of them, their wallets were also inside of them, and Cheryl's purse had $900 in it. So Janice, once she saw that, grew increasingly worried. She also noticed that Stacy left behind her migraine medication. Stacy suffers from chronic migraines and she always took that medication with her everywhere. So once Janice saw that, she definitely grew more concerned. Now Janice was the one that ended up calling police to file a missing persons report. And when she called the police, she actually didn't call 911. 911 was fairly new at this time. And when it was created, it was instilled Into the public to only use 911 for emergencies. And Janice did not know at this point whether or not this was an emergency. She ended up calling the police station and saying that her daughter and her friend and her friend's mom were all missing. And when police asked why she wasn't calling 911, she said she wasn't sure if this was an emergency or not. However, she was transferred over to 911 and authorities did end up meeting her at the house later that night on june 7th now when authorities arrived on the scene here were some of their observations although there was broken glass there was no sign of forced entry and like i said the broken glass came from the light bulb outside of the house so not from any window or door along with that authorities think that the girls were getting ready to go to sleep when something happened their jewelry had been taken off and their shoes were on the floor as well Stacy's clothes were neatly folded and her shoes were placed on top of them. Her jewelry was found in her shorts. However, what was missing from Stacy's clothes was her shirt and her underwear. This made police believe that when the women disappeared, they were either about to fall asleep or were already sleeping. So let's talk about the contamination of the crime scene because at this point, you have had multiple people walking in and out of that house. You have multiple people touching doorknobs, sweeping up glass, touching the phone, touching everything in that house, which again, just adds unnecessary DNA into the crime scene. Now, after police showed up at Cheryl's house and spoke with her and walked through the home, they reported the girls missing with foul play suspected. That is how they reported it. And they also left a note on Cheryl's door when they left. And this note was basically a warning and it said, if you are coming back or if you come back, there has been a missing persons report filed for you. So you have to call 911 and reverse the report. This again was just in the hopes that they did return. However, this never happened. Now, when it comes to the investigation, authorities got search warrants to search all throughout Cheryl's home. They also called all local hospitals and county jails to see if they happened to have ended up there. Now, within days, the entire community knew about this case. There were posters everywhere of all three women, and the FBI actually ended up joining in on this case on June 9th, so just two days after this report was filed, and there was a total of 32 detectives from the police station that were on this case as well. Springfield Lake was somewhere that was searched, however, there was nothing that came up out of that. Now, on the night that they went missing, there was also two vehicles that were reported stolen. These vehicles were a burgundy Toyota Supra, as well as a dark blue 19-foot Dodge van. Police were getting countless tips and followed up on every single one of them. And police did get one tip in particular that was called in by a woman who said that she claimed to have seen one of the girls driving a green van. She said that the girl in the van perfectly resembled one of the girls. And she said that along with that, there was a man in the vehicle as well who was yelling at her and basically threatening her saying, if you know what's good for you, you'll keep driving. And according to her, the woman looked absolutely terrified. Now, police did put this out into the public. They even put a green van outside of the police station, hoping that it would spark the memory of someone who could have also seen this. However, nothing came from it. Now, there was a gas station clerk who was working on the night of the girl's disappearance who claimed to have seen Stacy and Susie. He said that the girls came in and bought a few things and that Stacy was with an older man in a gold car. He said that this guy had a long, stringy, dark hair as well as a mustache. He said that when the girls left, they went in two different directions. One of them went north and one of them went south. And not only that, he then said at 2:15 a.m., Cheryl had actually gone into the gas station and asked the gas station clerk if he had seen Susie and Stacy. Now Janelle said that her Susie and Stacy never went to a gas station, so it is possible that this man just saw someone else and thought it was Susie, Stacy, and Cheryl. But it's also possible that Susie, Stacy, and Cheryl had met up with a different group of friends as well now i will say that all three of the women's cars were in the driveway so it suggests that they disappeared from the home that they were taken from their home. So, it doesn't suggest that they drove to a gas station and then drove somewhere else and Cheryl met them there. Now, there was another tip from a waitress who worked at a diner called George's, and she claimed that between the hours of 1 a.m. and 3 a.m. that she saw Cheryl, Susie, and Stacy coming in and eating there with three other men. She said that they all came together and that they all left together. However, reminder all women had left their purses and wallets back at their house. So it is possible that these men paid for their food and their experience and whatnot, but is it likely that all three of them left without their purses? Now, months had gone by in this investigation with nothing coming from it. However, on New Year's Eve, December 31st, 1992, there was a man who called in to the America's Most Wanted hotline and said that he had vital information about the women's disappearance. However, right when he was about to give this information, the man hung up the phone, and he did that because the operator was trying to connect him to the Springfield investigators. So, they were trying to get the Springfield investigators on the call without this man knowing, and the man figured it out, got freaked out, and hung up the phone. Now, the police have publicly appealed many times for this man to come forward and contact them. However, he never did. Now, there was another very interesting tip that came in. Investigators got a tip that all three women were buried underneath the foundations of the parking garage at the Cox Hospital in Springfield. Now, this tip actually didn't come into authorities. It came in to a crime reporter. She was a crime journalist who was working all on this case, and she was the one that got this tip. So, she brought this tip to authorities. However, they really did didn't do much with it, according to her, and she then decided to hire a mechanical engineer to scan the parking garage with ground penetrating technology. Now, when this man did this, he ended up finding three figures that he said resembled the size of a grave. Two of the figures were parallel and one of the others was perpendicular. Now, the person who gave this tip gave no reasoning for why they believed this to be the case or why he thought that the women were there. However, it is very interesting to see that there was something to come out of it. Now, the parking garage had began construction a year after the girls had gone missing, a little over a year. They started construction on it in September 1993. Now, the reason that the Springfield police have not dug up the foundation to see if they're actually under there is because without 100% factual hardcore evidence that they are under there, the process of digging up all of that concrete and all of that foundation that's already laid down is very expensive and time-consuming and they don't really want to do it or they didn't want to do it. However, it is interesting because clearly there's something under there, but authorities have claimed that this tip is not credible and it came from someone who claimed to be a psychic or who had a vision about this or a dream. So they said that it's not credible, but again, it is interesting to see that the GPR did show three figures. Now, like I said, this case is unsolved. It's been over 29 years and we still don't know what happened to these women. However, there is one potential suspect. There is one person that has never been ruled out. However, he has never been actually named a suspect. And that is a man named Robert Cox. Robert was an army ranger who was arrested and pled guilty to kidnapping to two women and assault with a deadly weapon. For this, he was sentenced to nine years, and after he got released from that, it was suspected that he was involved and responsible for the murder of 19-year-old Sharon Zellers. On December 30th, 1978, Sharon was leaving her job at Disney World at around 10pm, and six days later, authorities found her body beaten and stuffed into a manhole with her car nearby. Now, at the time of the murder, Robert was staying 100 yards away from where her body was found at a Days Inn motel with his parents. The night of the murder, he went back to his parents' motel room bleeding and had an inch of his tongue bitten off. Now, Robert claims that the tongue thing was due to a fight that he got in at a roller skating rink nearby. However, the security guards at the roller skating rink said that there was never a fight that night now along with that there was blood in sharon's car that matched robert's now robert had moved to springfield just weeks before the three women disappeared and the reason he's connected into any of this at all is because robert actually worked at the same car dealership that stacy's dad worked at so stacy's dad and robert were co-workers Now, when Robert was asked by police what he was doing and where he was the night of the disappearance, he had an alibi. He claimed that him and his girlfriend were at church. Of all places, they were at church. And Robert's girlfriend stood by this and she stood by him and claimed that the two of them were at church together. However, shortly after this, Robert was arrested again in Texas for armed robbery. And when he was arrested, his girlfriend basically came forward and said that she had completely lied before about the alibi. She said she had no idea where Robert was the night that the three women went missing and that she was basically lying just to cover up for him now after robert got arrested and placed in prison in texas there was an investigator who went down there to speak with him and asked about the springfield three and when asked about stacy Susie, and cheryl robert said quote i know that they're dead i'll say that i just know that they're dead there's no doubt about it end quote Now, when the investigator asked Robert for details as to why he thinks that or what happened to them, Robert said he wasn't going to disclose any details until his mother passes away. Now, as of right now, his mother is 81 years old and Robert said he's not going to say anything until she dies. Now, again, even though Robert has never been ruled out as a suspect, there's never been enough evidence to actually claim him as one either. Now, the investigative journalist that got the tip about the women being in this concrete at the Cox Hospital, she actually has a totally different viewpoint. She did a Crime Watch Daily interview where she claims that she thinks that she knows exactly what happened to the women. However, she refused to to say it. And actually, when watching the Crime Watch Daily interview, Crime Watch Daily was getting a little bit frustrated with her because they didn't understand why she was there, if she wasn't going to be truthful and forthcoming about what she thinks happened to them. However, the investigative journalist basically said that she was going to refrain from saying anything due to her own safety. She said that she had been threatened multiple times by people in the city and that she was in fear for her life, essentially. However, what she did did say is that Stacy was not the target, which goes kind of against the Robert Cox theory. Because with Robert, you could put the theory that Robert, you know, targeted Stacy because of her dad and he had an infatuation with her and that he went after her and that Cheryl and Susie were kind of just there. But with this theory, with Stacy not being the target, it kind of takes away from the Robert Cox theory. So two very different theories. Is it possible that Robert is just, you know, kind of dangling the carrot in front of everyone's faces and is playing this game just to get a rise and a reaction out of people? Yes, we have seen that a million times before. Serial killers tend to do that for whatever reason. They like to feel power and control. It makes the killings last longer in their mind. But those are really the only two theories that are in this case if you even count the second one because we really don't know what she's talking about or what she thinks she knows. Personally, for me, I don't know what I believed happened. This seems very random to me, but I don't think that this was a random attack. I think whoever attacked the girl's knew them. The fact that the house was in completely perfect condition and the only thing that was bizarre was the fact that the purses were left there. I will say though, I do think something that should be noted, it is very hard to take down three people at once. It is very hard to do that. It makes me wonder if there's more than one person who's responsible for this because if you think about it, if you go one against three, even though there are three women, they probably could have put up a good fight, especially in the house. You would have seen some sort of indication of a fight. However, there wasn't one. So it makes me wonder if there's more than one person involved in this. But that is what we know about the case thus far. Anything could be possible. I'm just very curious to hear what you guys have to say about it. All right, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Again, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here every Wednesday on the podcast and every Thursday on YouTube. I'll be back next week for you guys to give you a brand new case. And until then, stay safe. Bye guys.